Welcome to the Hill City Podcast. This is a recording of the weekly gathering from Hill City Church. We exist to help people follow Jesus and build their lives around three goals. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. If you'd like to join us, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Caustic Center in Farmington Hills, Michigan. We hope that today's message will help you follow Jesus. My goal for you um, is to be able to show up at Christmas morning with an enlarged sense of wonder, an enlarged sense of anticipation and awe at Jesus. That's it. Not world peace, all right? not, not ending hunger. I, I just want you to arrive at Christmas, whatever Christmas morning looks like, with an enlarged sense of wonder. So for us to do that, we're going to embark on a journey uh, that millions of other believers uh, in the world uh, are embarking on. It's called Advent. You're like, what in the world is Advent? The, the word Advent means arrival. And so it, it's a time for us to focus on the arrival of Jesus as a baby. We call that the incarnation. That's kind of the big churchy word of it. It's, it's where Jesus became flesh. He became a baby and he grew up. So that's, that's part of the celebration of Advent. The other part is that he promised to return. And so in Advent, it's this, this dual purpose of, of really remembering Jesus' incarnation, but really looking forward uh, to his return to renew all things. That, that is Advent. That's what we're doing. Um, Advent is uh, the story of God interrupting history with his love and his rescue in order to heal his people and heal the world. That, that's what he wants to do. That's his longing. It, re, it reveals his true burning desire for his people. It reveals his love for his people because guess what? We mess up and we just get ourselves in a whole bunch of sin. And, and really the hope of Jesus is to restore all of that and to forgive all of it. So that is Advent. It helps us remember God's promises to return for his people. So historically, you can do a, a big nerd out research if you want to on Advent and where it came from. Uh, most believe that it really originated, at least the first part of it, um, back in 5th century in the northern part of Italy. Uh, it was used as a time of preparation leading up to Easter. And so they would have early or young disciples fasting and praying and reflecting on, again, the coming and the return of Jesus. And so we want to do the same thing. A um, couple things uh, that we're going to do as a church in order to practice it. Um, you'll see a wreath over here. There are kind of two main symbols that come with Advent. The first is uh, this, this wreath, and it's, it's evergreen. These are fake. Don't worry about it. They're not going to catch on fire. Um, but the evergreen really stands for um, the everlasting life that we have through Jesus. And then we have candles. And candles can represent um, Jesus being uh, the light in the darkness. And so each week, what we're going to do, we're going to invite people uh, from our church family to come up. They're going to read some scripture, and they're going to light a candle. And we're going to do that every week, and there'll be a main theme that we do. So week one will look like hope, and the candle represents prophecy. That's today. Week two, next week, will represent peace, and that's called sometimes the Bethlehem candle. We have week three, which is the shepherd's candle, and that is pink which is kind of fun, that represents joy. And then lastly, uh, week four would be love, and that's the angel's candle. So why do we do this? Man, it's a way for us to slow down, to hear scripture in a new way, to light a candle, to participate, and to put our focus so that we can enlarge our sense of wonder and awe at the coming and the return of Jesus. 
So why don't you uh, welcome, uh, man, Josh and Carrie Fair to come up to do our readings this morning. Yes, so our uh, passage today is from Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. And in this passage, we look back at the foretelling of the birth of Jesus and all the promises that God made to us in the Old Testament. And then we see that they are fulfilled, they will be fulfilled in the New Testament by Jesus' birth. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the, of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So we're going to light today's candle as a sign of hope. And we need hope in our world today more than anything. So we want to just pray that we stay awake to God's activity in the world as we wait in expectation that even right now God is with us. And he's working to restore us to the fullness of life with God and with one another. Amen. Welcome to Advent, friends. This is exciting. Um, so bear with me today. I'm, I'm, I'm sipping on some tea and I'm, I'm hanging out with a headache. Uh, but I was able to wake up this morning and that embarked uh, 29 days of a countdown that we have left for our family to go to Brazil. Uh, so on, on January, yeah, we're, I'm, we're excited. Um, January 1st, uh, our family will board a plane. Uh, we'll celebrate. It'll be great. We'll be really tired. We'll wake up in the morning and we'll jump on a plane uh, to really go to Brazil to celebrate the wedding of a dear friend uh, Ramon and his fiance NIA. They're part of our church family. Uh, Ramon is like a brother. He's not quite young enough to be a son, which I feel better about. Uh, but, but here's the deal. Uh, about 11 months ago, they came and they're like, hey, um, we would really love for you uh, to be able to officiate and come to Brazil. And I'm like, yeah, that'll be a really good trip for my wife and I. And so I was telling Angie about it and she's like, yeah, that's going to be a really good trip for our entire family. And I was like, oh, this, this changes the game a little bit. So then in my mind, it shifted from, wow, this is gonna be a nice little vacation away to it's time to prepare. <laughs> we, have to get, we have to get busy and we have 11 months to count down. So this preparation, it looked like cutting spending and increasing savings, um, Angie getting an additional job, I'm selling a bunch of things. Uh, we have a countdown chain for our family that we rip off at some point during the day. Um, so there are 29 days left. We got passports for our kids, and that was, a, that was a whole fiasco. Make sure you put the correct first name and middle name and last name of your child if you want to get a passport. If not, government doesn't like it, and then you have to do a lot more work. Um, that happened to me. Uh, us. We booked flights. We booked hotels. We were renting cars. We're making the schedule. Uh, we had to redo our schedule because Angie really wanted to see a pink dolphin in the Amazon, and I wanted to take a boat ride and maybe see an anaconda. That's not realistic. It's like visiting New York and the Grand Canyon at the same trip. It just, it doesn't happen. And so we've had to, to redo a lot of our plans, but here's the thing. We've had a motto that the family absolutely hates, but I say it all the time. Might as well get a tattoo of it. It says, we say no now so that we can say yes to Brazil later. And my daughter is rolling her eyes, I'm sure, as we do it. But, but here, here's what, really what that means. We have been living differently now because of what's to come in the future. So if we want the future to come, we really need to live a little bit differently. And so it is with our relationship with God, period. 
But the waiting and the preparation is so, it's, it's just hard, right? As flights increase in price, and that means we have to do a couple other things. We have to wiggle around. We got to do this. We got to get a car. Um, I'm excited. Most cars in Brazil are uh, manual transmission, so it'll be fun to be able to drive that again. But in the waiting, it's so easy to get discouraged. It's so easy to get disappointed as the future awaits us. And I'm, I'm sitting here being like, I get to go to Brazil in a month. That's exciting. There are far bigger things that are happening within our family, our church family right now. And you're like, man, I'm disappointed about something way bigger than that. Man, I get discouraged on so many different things. You don't know what's going on in my life. You see, we live in this in-between of where we're at right now and the future that we long for. And it's this in-between. What we said a couple months ago was we're living between uh, Act 3 and Act 4, Jesus coming and then his return, which is good. But what do we do in the in-between? Because the joy that awaits us is immense and beautiful and great, but we don't always experience that right now. So it seems to me, and this is wonderful and frustrating, that God does some of his best work in the waiting or in this in-between, right? We, we see it all throughout Scripture. Here are a few examples. Abraham and Sarah, as well as Elizabeth and, and Zachariah, waited decades to have a baby. Forever. So long. God's people lived for 400 years in slavery, waiting for deliverance. Moses wandered in the wilderness, a trip that should not have taken very long, for 40 years, awaiting the promised land. God's people were in exile for 70 years, waiting for God's deliverance and consequence to be finished. God's people experienced 400 years of silence, waiting for God to speak between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It seems that God really likes it when his people have to wait, because it stirs up something from within. But here's the greatest part. Out of that disappointment, God provided for his people. Out of slavery, God delivered his people. Out of the wilderness, God led his people. Out of the exile, God disciplined and prepared his people. And out of the silence, God spoke. And out of that silence, he spoke through a baby named Jesus. So how does God speak to his people? The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned, and he just so happens to be the light of the world. So this light, Jesus, is the promised Messiah. Messiah means king or anointed one. It's the same word as Christ that's um, translated in the New Testament. So this Messiah anointed one, he, he will come to rescue and save and deliver his people. So in those times of waiting, in those times of disappointment, in those times of like, God, where in the world are you? He speaks into that darkness with the promise of light. So the promise uh, in the Old Testament, those are called prophecies. And we see them all throughout. Warren Wiersbe would say it this way. He said, Old Testament prophecies, promises of God, indicate that the Messiah would be born of a woman, that's in Genesis 3, of the line of Abraham in Genesis 22, promising to make him... Um, have kids far outweighing the number of the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. Through the tribe of Judah, promised in Genesis 49, and through the family of David, promised in 2 Samuel. And then continuing on through the prophets that we read this morning out of Isaiah. And there's many more. Jesus is the promised Messiah for his people 
He is the light shining in the darkness, and that's who we celebrate today. And this is what God seems to do in the waiting. So while they're in pain, while they're in despair, God gave them a glimmer of hope. And it's hope that we need to just kind of wrestle with today. So what is hope? Hope is anticipating a future that's better than the present. But, but hope is not just positive thinking. It's not just being like, oh, you'll get through this, no worry. Just trust God, you'll be fine. It's not just being optimistic. No, hope is something that's far better and far deeper We need hope for human flourishing because without it, few survive. And we just need to look at history to see that. Those that that were able to get through uh, even the concentration camps were people who had hope. We don't have to look too far. So why do we need hope? Because we experience disappointment all the time, right? And this can also lead to depression. Our expectations, whether they're realistic or unrealistic, they, they don't go met. And then what can happen? We, we get disappointed with different situations. Hope cannot be based on a situation. Hope can't be based even on a circumstance because those change all the time. And it's shifty sand. People can also disappoint us. Churches who are filled with people can disappoint us. So this is why we need hope. But biblical hope is different than just simply a definition of hope in a dictionary. It's more than just a, you know, a really good expectation of a better future. You see, biblical hope takes us a cut deeper. Biblical hope is based on a person, so our hope is Jesus, period. As we read in the text, he is a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. Biblical hope is Jesus, and it's his ability to fulfill his promises. That, like, that's hope. It's on Jesus and his ability to do the very things that he says that he's going to do. First Peter says this, in God's great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You see, we can have a living hope. We can actually have an interactive relationship with Jesus because of the resurrection. This is part of the hope, but it, it's rely upon God's character, really, because in the text it says, in God's great mercy, that, that is God's character. He is merciful to you. His character can be trusted. God is faithful and God is reliable. That is why hope in a situation that's based on a person is much greater because it's based on his character, not on things that change. So Jesus, again, is this promised Messiah that they've been waiting for, that we have been waiting for, for thousands of years, which is good. Well, hope then is actually a choice that we can make. So picture a situation that you might be in, and and it could be with work, it could be a family thing, it's in the holidays, so pick anything that might be coming to your mind right now. Hope is actually, man, it's, it's a choice that we have to trust Jesus. Because hope and faith, or trust, they're linked together so much. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for, and it's evidence of the things that we can't see. So when hope is based on a person, it's their ability to be able to fulfill it. It's actually not based on us at all. So our hope, Jesus, defies death. That means no situation that you're in right, is too far gone for God to redeem. It means that no person is too far gone for God to rescue. It doesn't matter the situation. The truth is Jesus is able 
to do it. And so he is able to be in that situation and work it towards the good. He is faithful when we are not, and then we can trust his ability for a future because it's not dependent on our own. And just lastly, um, I just need to ask a question. And this is a, this is a pointed question. I have to ask it for myself. I want to ask it to you. Does Jesus have the ability and the means to keep his promises for you? So we just need to get really practical. We need to get really able. This is every single individual person in this room. Does Jesus have the ability to keep his promises to you? Your hope then is based on this. Is Jesus good enough to forgive your worst sin? Is Jesus strong enough to conquer your greatest fear? Is Jesus uh, loyal enough to never leave you or abandon you? Is Jesus compassionate enough to meet you exactly where you're at in your pain and in your shame? Is Jesus powerful enough to defeat Satan and sin and death so that you can be free? Is Jesus loving enough to stay with you on your worst of days? And just simply, is Jesus generous enough to provide for your every single need? The, this is a question or questions that we have to wrestle with, but, but I wanna propose to you that he is able and that he is strong enough and loyal enough and compassionate enough and generous enough to meet every single one of your needs. And so then with that, you can place your hope in Jesus. You can have this interactive relationship with him regardless of your situation. He can be your hope. So every time we get discouraged, every time we face a hardship, every time we face a joy, it's an opportunity to trust him. So when you're going through that, hope will actually be forged in you when you go through these difficult times because it's an option and an opportunity to trust him. So hope is not a, a theoretical thing that just kind of lives up here at 30,000 feet. It is boots on the ground. Jesus, do I trust you in this situation? Do I trust you that you are enough when I'm not enough? That is our question today. So again, my goal for you is for you to arrive on Christmas morning with a huge sense of wonder and anticipation and awe at the person of Jesus who has come for you. Which is good. So my friends, how, how do we experience hope this Christmas season? How, how do we do it? Trevor Hudson, he's a, a pastor in Southern Africa. Um, he talks about these three groans that are found in Romans 8. And so I would love, if you have your Bible, just turn over to Romans 8 with us this morning. We're going to look at verses uh, 8, 22 through 28, and we're going to walk through it together, uh, again, with the goal that we can arrive at Christmas, man, just with an enlarged sense of wonder. So there's three groans. Uh, Trevor Hudson would say this. He says, as we listen and respond to the groans, the Spirit transforms us from the inside out so that we become agents of transformation in our broken world. Let's just take a little bit of time to walk through this together. Romans 8, verse 22 says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up into the present time. 
We've got a lot of babies in the room, and there have been some groans of, of childbirth. Um, there are some strong, amazing women in this room who can identify with that. And Paul references, like, these are the groanings that the entire creation, the whole creation, so that is the actual earth, the, the, the created world that we can see, but it's also people. There, there are groans that will come up and will come out of people. Groans for a new day, groans for a new creation, groans for a new world, groans for, man, maybe a new situation in life. There are groans of those who suffer loss or trauma. They're the groans of the forgotten elderly that might live down the street. Uh, I think of my neighbor, Sharon. She's a bit older. Uh, she's in her 80s. She has a husband. I was talking to her um, on Friday, and she's just like, ah, like John fell again, and I'm not really sure what to do. And, and they're just, kind of, they're living in the same house that they've always lived in, and there's just the groans that are there. There are groans of the addicted, groans of those with chronic pain. There's groans of those who are hungry, groans of those who are lonely, groans of those who feel abandoned. And it's important for us to be able to listen and to hear the groans of those around us. To experience Jesus in a really, I think, a new and a powerful way um, it's to see him as he is, because he said, and he showed up, and he says, hey, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you, you actually clothed me. When I was in prison, you came and visited me, right? And the believers, they were like, we, we had no idea. We had no idea. It's like, well, when you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. And so I think for us to experience Jesus in a new way in this Christmas season, it's to be able to listen to the groans of those around us. Uh, one of the things that uh, I get to do on a weekly basis is just meet up uh, and connect with people. And so there's different coffee shops that we, we typically frequent. And um, even this week, just counting, of, of the people, like there were three in particular that expressed just disappointment going on in their stories. There's, there's stuff going on with family. There's disappointment in work and not even sure what to do. There's a young adult who's trying to figure out, um, do, do I continue down this path or do I just start something brand new? I just don't know what to do. There are family struggles, all this stuff. And, and I'm just sitting back and I'm listening. One, is an honor that people would even be able to, to open up in a public place like a coffee shop and that tears would come. But really what came out, they were groans coming out of their life. And for us, I think one of the opportunities we have is, is to just show up and, and to listen. And we can do that and we can have eye contact with people. It happened this morning, not too far, in this very room, somebody showed up and said, hey, I need to talk to you about some stuff. And that's an opportunity that every single one of us have because guess what, right? People have deep, big feelings, especially right now in the holidays, and it's, and it's a way for us. There's the groans of a baby. I love it. This is amazing. But, but that's part of what we get to do. So Jesus meets us when we listen to the groans of those in our community, especially those who are different from us. Bonhoeffer said, uh, the Christian who is deaf to their neighbor will ultimately become deaf to God. So Jesus is our hope, and he is experienced when we listen to the groans of those around us. Can you hear 
the groans. We can move on in Romans 8, verse 23. It says, not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. The second groan that we must listen to, we must listen to our own groans. Never forget that every single person you're sitting to sits in their own pool of tears. Now, that, that sounds um, negative, but I think it's reality. Trevor Hudson said that. He's been in pastoral ministry for 40 years. He uh, has worked you know, uh, with, oh man, so many people in South Africa with the apartheid and everything, and he knows the groans of those around him, but in that process, he knew the groans that were coming from within himself. Everyone in this room experiences things differently. And so there's a really good tool, whether you're able to understand the own groans that you have inside yourself, you're like, oh man, I experience those all the time. This is not a hard thing to do. Or others, um, maybe the men in the room, uh, myself included, it's a little bit harder, right? It's harder to identify what some of those groans are. It's harder to identify uh, even how we feel or the emotions because like we can just get to task and do things. But apart from generalizing that, there are really incredible questions that our friends at Emotionally Healthy Discipleship uh, would say. These are ways that you can experience the groans that are coming from inside of you. So Pete and Jerry Scazzaro would simply ask, what are you anxious about? Right? And those aren't going to be on the screen. So what are you anxious about if you want to write these down? Right? What are you sad about? What are you mad about? And the last one rhymes too. What are you glad about? So anxious, mad, sad, and glad. And then when you can sit and do that, guess what? Man, you can sit in silence. You could do five minutes, and those, you simply ask those questions in the presence of God, and, and you can write that stuff down, right? I have a journal filled with, man, this is what I'm anxious about. Man, I am, I'm past mad. I think I'm enraged. Jesus wants you to be, understand what you're thinking and feeling on the inside so that you can give it to him, right? Listening to our own cries. How does Jesus meet us in that moment? He will speak to your deepest desires, right? And you can hang on, right? It's hope in that situation, even when you can't see him. Romans 8 continues, in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we don't have yet, we wait for it patiently. Right? We can't, we can't see Jesus face to face yet. But he gives us his spirit and he is there. And so what do we do between now and when he returns? We have to wait patiently. Right? And so as we are listening to the groans of others, we are listening to the groans within Jesus is our hope, and we can encounter him in a new way when we lift those groans up to him that are coming from within us. Lastly, we can listen to the groans of God. Romans 8, 26 through 27 says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, and we don't know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, too deep for words. 
And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. How amazing is that promise when you don't even know what to pray and you're just broken that, that the Spirit of God is speaking and interceding. Pray, interceding means praying for you. Man, what a promise that we can hang on to. That is, that is incredible and we need that. But do you, do you notice that the Spirit groans within you? God groans for you. God has emotion. God has feelings. We see in the Gospels that Jesus wept when his best friend or some of his best friends experienced brokenness and loss. He weeps with them. How comforting to know that Jesus suffers with us and rejoices with us. We are not alone in that. So he is groaning for us and within us for a world to bring about that's far better than the one that we have right now. So Jesus is made known to the world when we hear and respond to the groans of God. And as we, as we sit and we understand the groans that are going on within us, man, there'll be times where we're able to see and hear the groans of those around us and we'll understand the heart of God better. And God may tell you, hey, I need you to go and have a conversation with that person. Hey, I need you to go and meet their need. Hey, I just need you to show up and listen. Right? They haven't had somebody listen to them for a really long time. And in that, Jesus is hungry and you feed him. He is thirsty, you give him something to drink. He is naked and you clothe him. Maybe he feels abandoned and you give them presence. And Paul ends this striking declaration uh, of Romans 8 with this. You've likely heard it, <clears throat> maybe not in this context. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. This may be the best verse I've ever read on hope. That in all things, all is encompassing. God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The incarnation is that Jesus came here for you. And the promise that he will return for you and that in between, man, hope is allowing us to live differently in light of the future that's coming. And our hope is Jesus. So he promises to be with you. He promises to pray for you. He promises to work for you. He is our hope. So let's end with a practice. Why do we do practices often? We'll do it really almost every single week. We practice, think of it as training. We are training ourselves to walk with God. We are training ourselves to get into the presence of God for him to do a work in us that we can't do by ourselves. So every week we like to give you a practice. We like to have our city groups practice it together. And the practice this week is very simple. Listen to the groans this week. They might be others around you. They might be the ones within. They might be God's groans. They're probably intertwined. And as you do it, it might be um, you meeting somebody for coffee. It might be watching the news in order to hear the groans of God. It might be taking a walk in your neighborhood. It might be sitting in silence before anybody gets up in the morning or after everybody goes to bed and you just ask those four questions. God, what am I anxious about? And God will speak to you. And then likely he'll say, hey, why don't you go ahead and take this step? This Advent season, we shift our minds and our hearts to Jesus, 
who came into our dark world to bring healing and light. And he will return to make everything new for us. This is our hope. Jesus is our hope. So Jesus, we come to you now as your people needing you. Father, I pray that if there are people in this room now that that have not placed their trust in you, that they would because you are strong enough and loving enough and good enough and compassionate enough and generous enough. And God, ultimately you want them. You want their hearts. You want to heal the brokenness in their lives. God, you wanna give them freedom. So Jesus, thank you that you came for us and you will return for us and for every person in this world. We need you. So God, be our hope as we cry out to you this week. Would you give us ears to hear the groans of those around us and that we can respond to be your agents of transformation. We pray this in your name. Amen.